0: It is Monday, April 20th, and this is Community Pulse, your community radio report on the coronavirus outbreak in mid-Missouri, providing local updates about the ongoing pandemic from a unique perspective. You can catch Community Pulse live every weekday morning at 9 a.m. here on KOPN. And if you happen to miss an episode, you can find it later on in the day at kopn.org and on our Facebook page. Over the past week, we've seen protests erupt in many states across the country calling for an end to the stay-at-home restrictions, which have brought economic activity to a standstill. But many public health officials are saying it's still too early to lift restrictions in many areas, and doing so at this stage could be a setback, putting many more at risk to contracting COVID-19. Today on Community Pulse, we're going to talk about the lifting of stay-at-home restrictions and what this might look like. Joining me to discuss this and more is our good friend, Dr. Elizabeth Olliman, local family physician and host of Your Health Matters here on KOPN. Good morning, Elizabeth.
1: Good morning, Tim. Thank you so much for this opportunity, and thank you to the KOPN community for taking this so seriously. Um, so let's just start with the numbers. Worldwide, we're up to 2.4 million cases with 167,000 deaths. In the U.S., we have 766,000 cases with 41,000 deaths, 71,000 recovered, and uh, 677,000 active cases. Um, Missouri has 5,769 cases reported cumulatively with 200 deaths. Uh, Boone County has 93 cases, 10 of those active, and one death. And surrounding counties, Cole County has 46 cases, Callaway County 21, Cooper County 26, and Montauk County has 67. And I'm mentioning this because that's a catchment area for our Columbia hospitals. Um, Many uh, rural counties don't have hospitals anymore, and the ones that do often have very limited intensive care unit capacity. They may have intensive care unit beds, but the... um, expertise to take care of really sick people is sometimes limited in these communities. And I don't mean that in any, you know, was a rural physician myself. Um, you know, you have to be way more of a general you practice in the rural community. And so specifically sick people often get sent to, um, uh, referral centers like we have here in Columbia, with both the hospital and the university hospital receiving uh, referral cases, and then you know the veterans hospital in the in Missouri in Columbia services a large part of central Missouri, and so we have a pretty large referral base.
0: Right, that's an excellent point. And so uh, many of these these rural hospitals are they able to to test and treat. At at their locations, or are they um, they sending them all all of the COVID cases to Columbia? Do you know?
1: You know, I I do not know specifically what's happening. But um, first of all, any uh, physician in the state can order a test, mm-hmm. um, and any lab uh, that is that has the capacity can do it. So um, there's a, a lab locally here in Boone County, Genitrate, that is doing. Um, testing for both Boone and uh, the university hospital. And I would be surprised if they weren't also receiving tests from other counties in the. Mm -hmm. um, We is limited, not what happens in the lab right now, but it's the, it's the sample collection kit, the little swab that they stick up your nose. And then the little bit of fluid that's in that tube that they stick the swab down into both of those things have intermittently been the limiting the rate limiting step. Um, So uh, it's um, frustrating that where the labs are still requesting that I limit my orders to symptomatic patients. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing from other patients, from patients who call me is that other providers in the area are limiting their orders to people who are significantly symptomatic, like, oh, no, you have to have a fever this high or You have to have more of a cough or you have to have all the symptoms um, when, you know, increasingly what we know is that a significant amount of spread is done by either asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic people. So we do not. So the question is, can they test and treat? Well, testing is limited for all of us. And um, most as we've 85% of people who get COVID-19 are, can be cared for at home. And so I'm sure that local communities are, are, Taking care of the people who are not significantly sick, but and 15% are going to need hospitalization, and of those, about um, a third are going to need intensive care. And I'll bet that the local hospitals are capable of providing care to the to the uh, people who are a little bit sick. But then there's the issue of how do you keep them away from the people who are not sick from COVID. And that requires things like negative air pressure rooms and a lot of personal protective equipment for everybody. So these are the things that people should best be cared for.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So we're still facing that testing bottleneck, and that that is uh, one of the issues we're going to talk about this morning. Is um, you know, with the potential lifting of restrictions, what conditions will we need um, to go forward? Right. right?
1: Right. So the honest thing is that based on what we're seeing with protests and such, I think that what's happening is that um, many people are going to lift their own restrictions are seeing that. Mm-hmm. And and our public officials, our elected officials are, gonna, are under huge pressure to make probably the most important um, leadership decisions in their entire careers that will get looked back on and hashed over, um, perhaps for, you know, 100 years, uh, based on what we're seeing now, looking back at the 1918-1919 flu pandemic. Um, so I am feeling a lot of compassion for the people who are having to make these decisions. And all of the wise people seem to say, well, to make, a, you know, to lift restrictions in a safe way, we would need widespread testing, contact tracing, a way to separate the sick from the uh, from the well from the infected, from the non-infected, contagious from the non-contagious. Um, and we would need a healthcare system that, that had uh, filled up its deficiencies of personal protective equipment, um, uh, ventilators, and all of the myriad of things that it takes to manage someone on a ventilator, trained staff, enough morphine, um, the paralyzing agents that we need uh, in order to intubate people. Uh, there are a bazillion things that go into maintaining a person on a ventilator. So we would need to make sure we had all of those stockpiles repleted. And as far as I know, we haven't accomplished any of those things. We nice mm-hmm. to have a vaccine and effective treatment and we don't have either of those things. We're still there's still a lot of discussion and disagreement and debate about hydroxychloroquine and remdesivir. I'm sorry, I'm sure I'm sorry Remdesivir, I think is a new um antiviral the studies that have been done so far are not randomized, not blinded, uh, not adequately controlled, um, and are showing um, minimal promise uh, in treating these um, uh, these illnesses. So uh, we don't have any of the things we all said we would need to lift restrictions, and yet I, my guess is that the official restrictions are about to be lifted in the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm really concerned about that, and I think that we're gonna have to depend on of people making their own wise decisions to continue to limit the spread of this virus because um, I, I, I'm i concerned about what's going to happen
0: next. Right. I know everyone's itching to just have this over and done with and get back to work and get back to normal, but um, it sounds like we don't have the conditions in place for that to, to happen safely just quite yet.
1: No, and I'm getting questions from people like, okay, but I care about my local restaurants and my local businesses. How do I support them? Mm-hmm. And uh, buying gift certificates, uh, taking carry-outs, um, uh, ordering some for your friends, um, but not gathering. So I think that many of us are eager to go sit in a restaurant again. I think those are going to be bad ideas. Yeah. Maybe for years. You know, I I don't. We don't know. We've never done this before.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, with uh with regard to the contact tracing, that's something I hadn't really heard much about before the coronavirus. You know, I don't, I don't study medicine or epidemiology. And, but uh, I heard an interesting idea last week. Um, many of you may have heard about the the census being delayed. And some people are calling for the census workers to be used and trained to do contact tracing in the meantime, um, while they aren't out there doing the census. And, you know, I don't know if that's a feasible idea or not, but uh, it's a creative idea. And I think we're at a time when we need to to redirect resources and, um, you know, come together and find creative ways to solve these really difficult problems.
1: Exactly. um, I've been pondering this morning myself about what it would take. So contact tracing means that once we know somebody has a, an illness that's contagious. We then, um, based on the science, the best science we know about how it's transmitted and over what time it would have been transmitted, uh, that person was contagious and moving about the community. And then we would ask them where they'd been and who they'd been with. And then we would contact all those people that they might have come across. And so, um, you know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit different when we're a tracing contact of someone who has a sexually transmissible illness because we only need to know their sexual partners, whereas this is a respiratory illness. So um, this one, you know, it's like, so were you in the Walmart? Or, you know, I'm not trying to – were you in a public space, in, in especially in an enclosed area, and when were you there? And then how do we find all the other people who were there at that time? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what they're saying is that contact tracing for one person can take two contact tracers, five days of work to do. So we are going to need a lot of people. We've got 93 cases in Boone County. So I'm going to guess our Boone County Health Department is busy. Mm -hmm. And they are, you know, we have chronically underfunded our public health um, system, which I'm sorry to be saying in a cheerful voice, we have. It's concerning, and it affects the health of all of us. And now we're asking them to do this huge task, in a time of short budget. So I have wondered about um, what it would take to create a volunteer uh, team of people. A lot of this contact tracing can be done over the phone. And so people who are staying at home, uh, uh, sheltering in place, perhaps could be um, marshaled to do this. Um, anyway, I, I that would... It, it would require so much change in policy on the state level that I'm I'm not recruiting people yet. So please don't call me and say you're offering. But how we're going to do that huge work, um, and we need better testing to be able to even do it. So when we say we've only had 93 cases in Boone County, that's we that we know of. Like everything at this point, when we say it, we need to finish the statement with that we know of, yet.
0: Right. So, right. Yeah.
1: So we have not met the criteria that the smart people in the room said, yeah, let's do that before we um, uh, lift restrictions. So everybody who hears this, please share the message that no matter what our elected leaders do, um, we are going to need to do personal responsibility and make decisions on our own about continuing to do the smart things, which still means um, you should... Um, confine your interaction with the people you live with and you should not go into buildings you don't live in um, and there are a lot of people who are still hesitant to order their groceries and their other necessary things with curbside or delivery and I understand that those things are not easy and I'm still it, it is not the same to put on a mask and go into the building that is way more risky than to stay out of the building and let someone else put them in your in the trunk of your car And for people who are concerned about the quality of the produce that will be selected, then, you know, have it delivered by a local farmer because they will bring you something
0: beautiful. Yep. Yep. That's an excellent option.
1: Yeah. And again, I know that not everybody can do it, but if those of us who can would, it would make things safer for the people who can't. Um, So we're going to need to keep doing those things for a while. And then I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, shouldn't have been a surprise to me, but it has been that meat packing plants are important uh, places where COVID-19 is being spread.
0: Right, right, and we've been hearing uh, in our national news, there's a plant in South Dakota where uh, many, many of their employees were infected and they've they've closed down indefinitely for now. Um, I believe that Mm -hmm. was in Sioux City, South Dakota. This was a a Smithfield foods plant and we actually have one of these here in Missouri.
1: In Milan, Missouri, which is just, I had to look up to see where Milan, Missouri is, it's west of
0: Kirksville. West of Kirksville? So, okay,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, so it is, so I'm guessing that Kirksville is a place where people who live in Milan do their shopping and interact with people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a um, uh, meatpacking plant. I um, had the opportunity to be a, briefly, to be the physician consultant um, based on a contract that somebody else, my employer, had made. Briefly with a meatpacking plant, I think up in that direction, might have been that one. And um, workers work hard, long hours. The um, factory, uh, the production line goes really fast. There is not enough time to turn your head to sneeze or cough. There is not enough time to wipe your face or take a break to wash your hands after you have coughed or sneezed. They stand very close to each other. The facilities are are have limited size, and they... Um, are in close quarters. Um, no. It's large numbers of people, many of whom are um, recent immigrants to the United States, and some of them have may have questionable—I shouldn't say questionable—they may not have um, all the appropriate legal documentations to be able to work, which makes them vulnerable to being exploited. And being overworked and underpaid and underprotected, what the folks who work there are saying is that they don't have personal protective equipment and they don't have um, the opportunity to um, take time off when they're sick.
0: Mm -hmm. And uh, according to an article in the Missourian, uh, these meat processing workers at the Smithfield Foods plant in Milan have been raising concerns about their working environment even before the incident in South Dakota. So they have been concerned for a while.
1: They've been concerned before we had COVID. It's a really unpleasant place to work. Um, It's repeated lifting, lots of injuries. This is a place where, you know, these people that we are realizing are essential workers for all of us are, um, like as as they were just saying on the show before, um, we consider them expendable when they're essential. And, uh, we have not been, uh, as a culture, we have not been taking care of them well. And then there, in California, Missouri, Burgers has a, um, a meat processing facility, and um, there are, you know, a cluster of cases in California, Missouri, probably related to employees at that um, meat processing plant, which what I hear is closing today, So, uh, based on the reports that I'm seeing. Um, yeah. So... Um, And this is this double um, hit to the community that now there's a lot of people sick and now a lot of people are out of work. And now what happens? And is the public health department there prepared to do the contact tracing that we need to to keep the rest of the community safe? So, you know, it's these um, consequences, these unintended consequences of people working in. Um unsafe conditions that are unsafe at baseline and then become really dangerous when we have an infectious disease
0: right and and one thing we're seeing with the spread of the coronavirus are these uh, weak points um in our mm-hmm. food supply in our supply chains in general um in our in our public health uh, policy um those are coming to the fore and Hopefully, after this is all done, we can, we can recognize where those weak points are and, and try and strengthen them.
1: Yeah, let's not wait until it's done, because it may be a long time before it's done. Let's get started now. Um, and uh, so one thing is, what are we going to do if uh, our food supply starts to, our supply chain starts to falter um, with meat? Now, maybe you know, the Smithfield system is a major supplier of the nation's pork, and so um, I'm, I'm feeling for pork farmers, who, pig farmers, who now don't have a way to get their um, animals to a processing plant. And I don't know what will happen to those people and to those pigs. Um, but it's another time where um, it's probably a good idea to be filling most of our plates with vegetables. And uh, having the meat be a smaller part of our um, calorie consumption. Many people are calling for us to be eating meat-free as well. I'm not convinced that's the most nutritious way to eat, but I don't think that um, meat needs to be the center of our plate. Like I was taught um, as a young woman growing up about how to cook a meal. It's the first thing you think of is the meat. And many people, even people who embrace a paleo um, uh, lifestyle and, and eating plan say that Meat should be, like they talk about them as condom meats, that they should be something that adds flavor and a little bit of nutrition, and it should primarily be things from the ocean and organ meats. Um, those tend to be a little bit cheaper and a little bit easier to acquire. And there are, uh, we live in a place of abundant uh, local meats, and if we are eating less of them, then we can pay a little bit more per pound for them.
0: Indeed, and there's, the farmers' markets are still open, as we discussed last week, and many farmers have transitioned to doing... Uh, delivery drop-offs outside of a market. So there right. there are other options out there.
1: Yeah, and if you wanted a place to start, you could start with um, the Farmer's Market website. That will guide you to how you can get some of these lovely local um, things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so I hope that everybody stays safe and stays well and um, uh, shines bright and thinks creatively and thinks out of the box, and we need to start to make our system better.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning, Elizabeth. It's always a pleasure to have you on. You're
1: welcome.
0: I'll talk to you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. That's it for today's edition of Community Pulse. Once again, we were speaking with Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, local family physician and host of Your Health Matters, which airs every Wednesday at 6 p.m. on KOPN. Once again, you can catch Community Pulse every weekday morning. On KOPN at 9 a.m. And if you happen to miss an episode, you can find it on our website at kopn.org and on our Facebook t- page. We are still taking questions and comments from our listeners, so if you have something to say or a question to ask Dr. Alleman, you can call 573 874 1139 and leave your question as a message, or you can email it to me at gm at kopn.org. Thank you so much for listening this morning. Coming up next is an abridged version of Background Briefing, followed by Economic Update and The Laura Flanders Show. Please stay tuned, and thanks for supporting your community radio station, KOPN.